angels and there's demons. There really is stuff going on in the spirit realm. Some of us don't like to acknowledge that because we feel fearful or we feel afraid. But I reminded you and showed you in the scripture where you don't have to be afraid. So then our next week, we looked at the spiritual end of that and how we have the Holy Spirit in us and with the authority of using the name of Jesus, we can tell demons to go. All right? So we looked at it. Now, but we're not just, you know, spirits. We're spirit, body, and soul. And so our spiritual warfare is affected by the other areas of our life. Just like our body, right, and is affected by our spirit and our relationship with others, our soul. And so they're all interconnected. So I wanted to talk today about spiritual warfare and how sometimes you guys have a situation and you go out and you say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. You must leave me in the situation alone. And guess what? The situation continues. The struggle continues. The warfare continues. And you know what you do? You say, that Pastor Mary's a liar, and she doesn't know what she's talking about, and I used the name of Jesus, and nothing happened. Right? That's what you're saying. It's what you're thinking. You're thinking, like, this doesn't work. But the reality is, sometimes you have to use a different method depending on what is going on. There have been times where I had spiders in the house, and I used hairspray to try to kill them. Now, in some cases, that worked. But then all of a sudden, I got an ant problem. I go over, and I grab my bottle of hairspray, and I spray it on them, and the ants still keep coming back. I realize, like, oh, I need to use some ant poison over here. And in our lives, we have different situations, and our first, first thing we can do, it's the most simple thing to do, is to say, if this is satanic, if this is a demon, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, and you must go. And you just take care of that spiritual end of it. But if the situation doesn't change, now you have to ask yourself, what is the next step? When people come for, for healing, I say, did you know in the Bible when Jesus healed people, a third of it was demonic, and he just said in the name of Jesus, you know, demon go? Amen. And all of a sudden, their sickness, their physical sickness would stop. But two-thirds of the time, he wouldn't. He would say, be healed. Now, do you think he just randomly told the demon to leave sometimes and be healed other times? No. He knew whether it was a spiritual problem or it was a physical problem. Now, we then need to be as wise as Jesus was and say maybe a third of the issues I'm dealing with are demonic and I need to be with that authority. And if you miss those sermons, you can go back on our Facebook Live and then they'll be posted shortly on, on our YouTube video. But two-thirds of the time, it might be something else. Now, I'll break it down even to one-third body and another one-third emotional soul. And so next Sunday, I'll be talking about the soul, spiritual warfare that's affected by our soul. But today, I'm going to talk about the spiritual warfare that is affected by our body. Now, what do I mean by body? That means my humanity, okay? So I'm here on earth, and I'm making choices with my body, and I'm doing things, and they affect the spiritual warfare in my life. Now, how does the Bible refer to this? They call it blessings and cursings. Now, we can bring curses upon ourselves. Now, you might say, but Mary, Jesus has come, and Jesus just wants us blessed, and yes, anything from God is a blessing. But I have free will choice. And if I decide to smoke cigarettes every day for 50 years and then wonder why I've got lung cancer, 
I can't say, God, why didn't you bless me with good health? He's going to say, you had free will. And while you're here on earth, there are earthly consequences to your earthly choices. And so we have the ability to bring curses upon ourselves. And we have the ability to bring blessings upon ourselves. We also have the ability to receive blessings from God. And we can reject those or take those. So today we're talking about what are the, the choices that we make while we're here on earth in our fleshly body. Now, number one curse that can come on you is curses from your family line. We see this in the Old Testament, especially it talked about it. You can kind of see where it talks about blessings and cursings in a few places also in the New Testament. But let's start here in Leviticus. In Leviticus 26, start 16, these people are getting some instruction. Okay, they're going into the promised land, and it says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out the commands, so they had just given them instruction of all the good things. If you go into this land and you wash your hands before you eat food, you will be blessed. If you go into this land and you live in a house that doesn't have mold in it, you will be blessed. Now, we can look back scientifically and understand why God told the people in a desert place to use extra water to wash their hands before they ate. But they didn't understand that. That was, what, 4,000, 5,000 years ago? So we understand that he was saying, there's certain things you can do that will bless you. And there's over 330-some laws. So I can't, I'm not going to use them all, but I can use the obvious ones so that we understand. One of the rules was wash your hands before you eat. One of the rules was, if you handle a dead body, don't go home. Go outside of the camp for 10 days. If you have not become sick, then you may go back home. Right? At the time, they probably thought, what a weird rule. Now, we understand quarantine. We all just went through quarantines. So they would do these things. And he says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out these commands, and if you will reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all of my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. And then he began to list out the curses that would happen and fall on you. But what's interesting, if you go to verse 38 of that same chapter, because he does a big long list, we don't want to see the list. Let's just know that, like, wash your hands before you eat. Save you a trip to the bathroom. Let's just leave it there. Verse 38, he says, You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of the enemies because of their sins. Also because of their ancestors' sins will they waste away. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm giving you laws, and this will preserve your nation. But if you don't do them, then it's not going to only affect you, but it's going to affect your next generations. Some of the places in the Old Testament would say it will affect you for your generation and the generations to come, right? And so why is that? Well, number one, sometimes the things that you do to your body and the, and the, and the things that are happening in your household, you, they get passed on to your next generation. Most of the time, however, I think it's the habit that your children see. We know understand child development. We know if a little kid is watching this person make these choices guess what? That's what they're going to do when they get older. Now, you can break that. There's that, I don't know, you've probably seen it on Facebook, a meme, where it says there was a man who was an alcoholic. He had twin boys. When they became adult men, 
The first one, he drank all the time, and they said, why do you drink so much? And he says, because my dad did. But the twin brother, the other twin brother, didn't drink at all. And they said, why don't you drink? He said, because my dad did. Now, most of the time, though, we do what we see. It's called monkey see, monkey do, right? If you see this happening, that's what you're going to do. That's what children do. They follow in the footsteps. But it says, but if you will confess their sins, but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me, then he will be able to bless them. So, number one curses that could be on you that you're dealing with could just be your family line. Now, what do you do about that? Well, in the spirit realm, you know, if I recognize and say, guess what, my dad had an anger problem and now I'm yelling at my kids and responding the same way he responded to me. First thing I'll do is like, Lord, you know, please forgive my family line for this anger and this yelling. And I just cut that curse in the name of Jesus. Now, you don't see anything. This is just a spiritual thing. You're just making a declaration. You're making that statement. You're saying, in the name of Jesus, I cut off that curse from my life. But then now, as I move forward, I have to create a new habit, don't I? I have to stop myself when I'm in a situation and I begin to yell. And I have to recognize, I'm doing what I was taught, but that doesn't mean it's right and I need to stop. Because what am I doing? I'm teaching my kids now how to talk to their kids. I've got grandchildren that aren't even born yet that are going to be yelled at because I'm yelling at them. And so, not to say that parents should never yell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you've got like a rage and anger, like you know that you cross the line. And we all have had moments like that, but there's some of us that have a lifestyle like that. And when it becomes a lifestyle, that's when you have to say, I am putting a curse upon me and my family line, and I need to make a choice to do something different. So... Again, we've learned about the spiritual stuff. If you say, in the name of Jesus, spirit of rage, go, and it doesn't go, that might be then it's become a curse. This has become a habit. This has become now a choice that you're participating with. And so you need to recognize that. You can have curses from other people. Other people can curse you. Did you know that? I mean, we all understand like the whole voodoo and witchcraft thing and how some of them can can put curses on other people. And that is, you know, something that some people do. Now, if you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you're praying and you say in the name of Jesus, you know, I just, you know, cut myself off from any voodoo or fasting curses, most of the time you don't even realize that's going on and because you're walking with the Lord, it's not going to affect you. But there could be people in your life that you're close with. We call these like soul ties. It can be your spouse. It can be your family members. We see biblically where where even talked about how some people can curse you. In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27, Jesus is talking and he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So Jesus is telling us there are going to be people close to you, around you, that are cursing you, that are mistreating you. And it's not going to be eye for an eye. I want you to love them. Now, sometimes, you know, love protects, and you might have to put up some boundaries, but rather than mistreating them back or cursing them back, you're supposed to love them back. But what do I do about the fact that they've cursed me? And sometimes we don't even recognize when we're cursing somebody. We've all done it. 
You know, you're, you're like, let's say you've got a, a, a nephew or, you know, a cousin, second cousin, twice removed, and you see him somewhere and you get in the car and you're driving away and you tell your spouse, or you tell your friend you're with, boy, he's such an, you know, you know, he's, let's say you said idiot. Don't, I don't advise that, but let's say you called him an idiot. He just, he just can't get, can't figure this out. I don't know. He's, he's never going to succeed. Well, you just cursed that person. You've just declared they're never going to succeed. And Jesus was actually big on this. He said, if you call someone raka, which in that language meant like idiot or something bad, he goes, you have just hated that person. You've killed that person. He said, that's really bad. He said, don't in your heart hate somebody. Why? It's the bottom of your heart, your mouth speaks. And you call somebody those names, and he's saying, don't do that. Why? Because you're cursing them. And so there are going to be people, especially when you're young, this is when the curse ends up causing effect. I mean, I, every day I'm doing stuff, and I'm sure there's people cursing me. And those word curses just fall to the ground. But the word curses that affect you are when it's somebody you, you love or you respect, and all of a sudden they say, you're never going to be able to do this. Now, if you accept that and you don't do it, that curse had its effect on you and it fulfilled. But you can hear a word curse and you can say, I reject that in the name of Jesus and I'm going to do this. Some of the different things that I've done, raising money for the mission, Good Samaritan Rescue Mission, I went to some friends one time and I said, hey, I'm going to do this event. There was three, three people at the table. One of them said, you're not going to succeed, Mary. You won't be able to do it. One said, well, maybe if we really, really help you, we can kind of do it. Then the other person said, oh, my gosh, this is going to be awesome. Now, I had to sit there and understand that one person is cursing this idea and saying it's not going to work. One person is kind of neutral on the idea, and the one person is, is encouraging the idea. Now, what we do when other people curse us depends on how we then go forward. I had to make a decision to let the word curse fall down and to embrace that it was going to work. And over the next few years, we ended up raising over $100,000, and it was a very successful event every year. But I could have said, well, this person thinks it's going to fail, and I'm going to believe what this person says about me, and I could have let that stop me. So when other people curse you, just love them back, but don't embrace what they said about you. Let their word curses fall to the ground. But if you keep embracing curses from the people around you or curses that people want to put on you, if you hear, oh, there's some witch coven in the neighborhood that is saying that your, your life is going to be destroyed, Mary, if all of a sudden I embraced that and I began to get fearful and, and I looked for everything, all of a sudden, I'm, oh, look, at, I, I stubbed my toe. It must be those, those witches' curses and this and that. Then all of a sudden I'm embracing that and I'm inviting in, right, the demonic, that spiritual warfare to say, yeah, go ahead, I believe. I have faith in that. Or is when you understand the whole cursing, that somebody can curse you and that you can curse yourself and you begin to make a decision to say no in the name of Jesus I reject that and my faith and belief is that the blood of Jesus is stronger than any curse that what Jesus took on the cross when he went were the curses and that I am blessed and I'm only going to look for good things I'm only going to look for blessings then all of a sudden the curses have no more power over you what Jesus did on the cross is more powerful 
than any sin you've ever committed, any, any curse that's ever been put on you. But the question is, is are you going to receive that blessing? Are you going to receive that anointing? Or are you going to accept the curses in your life? So if you're a child, though, and you heard your parents say, you're never going to amount to anything. You're just a screw-up. You, you, you never do anything right. Then as an adult, when all of a sudden you don't do something right, that, that parent's voice in your head says, see, I told you so. And this is how curses from others can really affect us. Again, a stranger walks up to you and says something, yeah, it might bother you if you're not confident in knowing who, who you are. But if you can get to a point where you're confident in knowing who you are, the only things that will bother you is when it's somebody you love and respect. Or if it's from a family member and you've heard it ever since you were little, then all of a sudden somebody says something. And it triggers that, right? We use that word trigger. All of a sudden it reminds you of what has happened. So, the curses from others. Now, the majority of the time, though, we have cursed ourselves. And this is why we have spiritual warfare in our lives. Let's just be real. We, we do more damage to ourselves than anybody else. Why? Because you're stuck with yourself 24-7. That's who you spend the most time with, isn't it? Todd and I are married, and we spend a lot of time together. But guess what? Even if we're on vacation, it's just him and I. I'm not with him 24-7. Even if I just got to be like, I got to go to the bathroom and shut the door. I got at least a little few minutes by myself. But I can't get away from me. Where do I go? Where do I go to get away from me? I can't. I'm with me all the time. Now, some of you try to get away from yourselves and you numb yourself with drugs or alcohol or other type of things. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying some of you try. And you try to at least get a different version of you. But that's not good. Most of the time that affects us negatively. So if we can deal with our own self, so let's look at what are the ways that we curse ourselves. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, through 10. It says, verse 4, says, each one of you should test their own actions. Why should I test my own action? You would think I always do something for good intent. Yeah, right. You should test your own actions. Why are you doing the things you're doing? Are you doing it because you're just programmed that way and that's how you think it needs to be done? Are you doing it just to indulge yourself, your flesh, the lusts of your flesh? Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share in all good things with their instructor. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. What is this passage saying? He is saying, examine yourself. 
You all are Christians, and I'm writing a letter to a Christian church who believe in Jesus. They have authority in the name of Jesus, so they understand the spiritual part of it. But part of your problems are what your actions are what you are doing. He says in verse 4, each one of you should test your own actions. Are you blaming the devil on something that you caused? We can't help the fact that on earth there are certain rules that apply. They, they just, they're just are. What goes up must come down. You cannot create matter. It has to come from, I mean, these are like scientific things. I could take you into a science class in a lab and I could teach you these rules that we know exist. And you would not deny them. But yet, when we say what you take into your flesh can destroy you, we still, right, reach for that addiction. Whether it's the alcohol or some, for, for me it's donuts, you know. It, I mean, for, the, for the, the cigarettes, whatever. And then I wonder, well, why, why do I have this here? Why can't I run a half a marathon? Well, did I sew training? Did I try running a mile? Are you kidding me? I don't think I could run a 100-yard dash. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe if a bear was chasing me or something. I, I, although I don't think I could outrun a bear. I think I'd just curl up in the ball and put my head over my hand. You know. But then we say, well, we know what goes up must come down. Why don't I believe that what I put in my body is going to affect my body? And that's how we then curse ourselves. We curse ourselves by not only what we put in our body, but how we talk to others, how we treat other people, and what we're doing. The, the, here on earth, we have consequences. Yep, if you sin in heaven and you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven and you will go to heaven when you die. But if you sin here on earth... Even though your spirit is forgiven, you're going to go to heaven when you die, and God forgives you when you ask for that forgiveness. I still have to deal with the consequences here on earth. If I rob the supermarket, and then two seconds later I think, what in the world did I do? And I confess it to God and I, you know, repent. I still have to go talk to the judge, don't I? I still got to go deal with the police. I still have to deal with the consequences while I'm here on earth. I still might have to serve my time to prison. My consequences here on earth don't end because God forgives me. I still have earthly consequences for my actions. But we think of the bigger things. We don't realize that the little things are cursing our lives. And then we're wondering where the spiritual warfare is coming from. You know, in, in one of the Ten Commandments, the, Old, the New Testament says this is the first of the commandments that had a blessing with it. So when you look at the original Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one of them is, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, some of these are obvious, right? Like, wash your hands before you eat so you don't get sick. Okay, well, we get that one. But why will I live a longer life if I honor my parents? I don't know, but that's what the Bible says. And so, you know, sometimes we can see the, the natural consequences and why they are what they are, but some of them are just simple. How you treat the people around you. Maybe it's the attitude. I, I just was looking at some scientific stuff online and studies they've done. Did you know 
that if you're just simply stressed and have a negative outlook on life, you have, you're more likely to have cancers and you know, organ failures and to have diseases inside of you. It's like, why? Well, we know now, because of science, that when you have certain thoughts, you produce different chemicals in your body. There's like cortisol, and I, I don't know, there's a whole list of stuff. But then those, t those things in you then begin to affect your kidneys function and begin to affect your, all your issues. So maybe just having an attitude of peace with your parents that just lasts your whole life. We know that when you give financially, this one doesn't make sense, but when you give financially, there's a blessing attached to that. We see here, and there's lots of places. I'm not going through. I don't have enough time to read you. I mean, I could do a sermon on each one of these. But we see here in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and this is Jesus talking. He says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that's interesting. I'm going to give you this, and when it comes back, it's going to be running over, shaken together, pressed down. Why do you press something down? Put more in, don't you? Like if, you, you, if you're a baker, you know this. You get some powdered sugar, or excuse me, some brown sugar. It, what do they say? They'll say a packed one cup of sugar. Because if you just scrape it all up and throw it in there, there's a lot of air. But if you pack down that brown sugar, you might only have a quarter cup there, and it looked like a cup, and you could put in a lot more. Now it's a double portion. Now it's a triple portion. Why? Because you packed it down. You shook it up, right? So the bigger things and the little things, like if I, I've shown you guys this before, where you take a container, and if you put in, you know, a bunch of sand first, and then the bigger rocks, you can't fit anything more. But if you put the big rocks in first, and then you pour the sand on top, and then you shake it, it goes down in there, and you can put more sand in. Then you sh shake it, and it goes more. It goes down in there. And you keep putting more in. And then it says to the point where it's running over into your lap. And, and there's other places where he'll talk about, you know, when you reap and you sow. What does reap mean? That's like a farmer thing. When you plant seeds, you get a harvest. Now, you take one little seed, and you put it in there, and you get this huge plant that produces many things. This is a principle and a law that applies here on earth. It doesn't just apply out in the fields where I can take, you know, tiny little tomato seed and put it in there and then I can produce this huge plant that gives me 20, 30 tomatoes for the season. I couldn't get over how much. We planted tomatoes one time. I, I was throwing them away by the end. I'm like, oh my gosh. Who thought two tomato plants would produce this many tomatoes? My dog started eating them. I just let her have the rest. I mean, I had windowsills full. You know, why your neighbors and your grandmas and your aunts and everywhere you go, there's boxes of, there's going to be a moment where you walk into any dental office, eye doctor place, you're going to see a big old cardboard box by the door. It's going to be full. Why? Because they got so much. They're bringing it places. They're saying, take this home. And they're putting it out. Anybody want it, take it. What? Because one little seed multiplied out so many. And now if you were to cut open all those things and pull all the seeds out, it would be thousands more than that one seed that produced that plant. So we know that if you give the soil something here on earth, it's going to give you back multiple. 
And we understand that if you give out money to God and to his works, he's going to return back to you multiple. And Frank, now she wasn't a Christian woman, but she was Jewish. And that is where we're taking these principles from because God's people were the Jewish people, but then he opened it up to all of us. So as Gentiles, we're allowed to participate into this blessing. But as a Jewish woman, she understood this principle because all the way to the Old Testament, God's word tells us to give. And you know what she said? If you're not familiar with who Anne Frank was, she was a young lady that lived during World War II and they were hidden away. And her dad had seen what was coming and had made sure they had food and made sure they had beds. And all of a sudden at the last minute, he just, his heart got to him and he says, there's enough room here, we need to save more. And so he began to find a few other families and brought them in. Now their family could have just said, it's just going to be us. And nobody probably would have found out because they, the people that were helping them wouldn't have had to try to shuffle in so much food. But instead, they, they decided to give, to help. And so she's living through World War II, eating just the, you know, the scraps, whatever they might have, not always having exactly what they want. And she's quoted as saying, no one has ever become poor by giving. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we can become poor. But giving is not one of them. When we give, we are asking God to bless us back. One of the moments in Jesus' ministry, he's sitting with his disciples. They're at the temple, and there's like a collection box where you can give gifts to the temple. And there was men that had businesses, and they had you know, a lot of money, and they have their bags full of gold. They'd like to make a big show of it. They'd walk by, clink, put in their bags of money. And they're walking by, and clink, clink. Clink, you know, some people have a handful. Clink, clink, clatter, clatter, clatter. Clink, clink, clink. And then one widow woman comes by. And it says that she had two mites. Now, we've said before, those are like two pennies. Well, that doesn't relate to our world. Because if all I had was two pennies and I gave it to God, then, well, I can't buy anything with two pennies. No, those mites back then could have at least gotten her a dollar menu McDonald's sandwich. So let's say she had two dollars. That's more of a relation of what it is, because she could have taken those two mites and went and got a bread roll in her, in her area. And it says that she put in the two mites, and then she kept on going. And Jesus turned to look at his disciples and just said, did you see that? Now I'm paraphrasing here. They were like, what? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Smith, he gave like $1,000, and, 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 and so-and-so, he just gave $10,000. He's like, no. Did you see who gave the most? They're like, mm, Mr. Jones, looks like he gave his bag was the heaviest. No, it wasn't him. Did you see who gave the most? Well, I guess not. Who came in before Mr. Jones? That woman. That woman who gave $2. She gave the most. And they're like, what are you talking about? And see, God's accounting system doesn't work like ours does. It's not about how much you gave. It's did you give. And she gave the most because that was all that she had. It was 100% of what she had. Now, why would she do that, right? Now, unless she has nothing to eat. Because she's selling God. Hey, here's my two bucks. You better take care of lunch. You better take care of dinner. And now she just gave the responsibility to God. And guess what? I bet she got eight more than just a piece of bread that day. 
Because God, what he, what he says when he brings it back, is pressed down, running over, shaking together, that it might, that, you know, pouring into your lap. I remember one church I used to go to, they would repeat that, but then they would say, so you can give again. Like, why would God give you extra? Sometimes it is to give again, and I hope, you know, you, you do give again. But sometimes it's so you can enjoy and have a blessing, so you can have steak that night instead of the bread. But I'll tell you one thing. If you don't plant any seeds, you're not going to reap any corn. If you don't plant any seeds, you're not going to have any tomatoes. And if you don't give, you don't get this. And so then that becomes a, then a curse in your life. What is the opposite of a blessing? What is, what is lack? It becomes a curse in your life. And so all of a sudden, when we look at the spiritual warfare, and we're like, what is going on? And it wasn't because you needed to give $100. It could have been 50 cents. But the attitude was, I'm giving you this 50 cents, so it'll multiply back, so I'll have an extra five bucks next week. It's not about how much, or I'm going to give my time. I remember talking to a woman one time, and she had a degree in, in, a, in a ministry thing. And we were talking, and, and she's like, well, I've got my degree in ministry, and I haven't had a church hire me yet. And I said, well, where do you volunteer? She goes, well, what do you mean? I don't volunteer. I said, you want to reap a really good ministry job, but you're not willing to sow with the skills and talents you just graduated with into God's ground. How in the world do you reap potatoes or harvest potatoes in the fall when you didn't plant any potatoes in the spring? I said, if I were you, I would start volunteering in the area in which you want. Now, practically, we would all say, well, yeah, that's getting something on your resume, right? That's getting some experience. That's, we call that being an intern in places. I call that being a God principle. You sow what you have. Sometimes you don't have any money. That's why I always say when we're taking up the collection, but do you have time? Do you have a talent? Do you have a resource? And there's a lot of people here who do, and they give. And they give out of that. And I know that God's blessing comes. That's what I pray. I'm like, Lord, multiply it back. Because when you give, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we have curses. We have ways that we can be blessed by honoring our parents, by giving, now, we also know that with our body, when we indulge, that can bring curses. And when we abstain, we can be blessed. When we indulge in the lust or with gluttony or with um, escapism. I mean, some of us we sit in front of the Netflix for too long. Let's just be real. When I was a kid, it used to be like, oh, the TV is going to... Fry your brain, you know, you need to go outside. Or they used to always tell us, oh, if you sit too close, it's going to hurt your eyes. You know, you'd have to, they'd tell you to go back six, six, you know, they had commercials on this, right? And, and they, they would read a book, read a book. If you don't read a book, you're, you're going to learn, you know, you're going to forget how to read, I guess. I don't know. We were told that. So for, we all have a bent, is what the Bible calls it. I call it a tendency. You all have your bad habits. And these things can become a curse in your life. And you just need to be aware of that. 
Am I having a lot of physical ailments? Okay, well, what am I doing to contribute to that? Am I having a lot of, you know, emotional distress with the people around me? Okay, well, maybe I need to, you know, deal with different things. But sometimes you might look at your life and be like, oh my gosh, I'm drinking two pots of coffee every day and then wondering why I'm screaming at my husband by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hello? Right? Sometimes you just got to be real and look at it. Are we taking care of our bodies? Let's be real. And I can stand up here and I can say, I don't take care of my body. I need to exercise. I need to get better sleep. I mean, you know, people that worked with me, they know I might be like emailing them at like 3 o'clock in the morning because either I haven't gone to sleep yet or I woke up early and I just can't go back to sleep. The other day I was emailing a guy in town about this Christian concert event and I got my head's full of all these ideas. It's like 4 o'clock in the morning and I sent him this big long email. I need to take care of my body. I need to like sleep. I need to say I can do my work another time. I feel like I need to get it all done right away, but I need to do something different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Whew. You know, they called you know, places of worship temples, but we call them like church buildings. Did you not know your body is a church building? What would you put in your church building? If you were in charge of a church building, would you put, let's be real, would you put pornography on the TVs? Would you put, you know, alcohol in, in, in every cupboard? Would you, you know, not, not ever clean it? Not ever take out the trash? I mean, we know what we need to do. We all know. I don't need to tell anybody what you need to do. This is not judgment zone. This is a reminder zone. We all know what we need to do. And I'm just saying... If you're asking, why am I cursed in this area of my life? Ask yourself, do I need to take better care of my body? Because when I take better care of my body, I will be blessed. And when I don't take good care of my body, I'm going to have some curses, and that's going to lead to some spiritual warfare. My husband and I like to go on vacations once in a while, and this became very clear to me within the first five years of our marriage that we would go on a tour, and I'd be super excited, and I, I'm like a history buff, and I love to know knowledge, and, and I, I'd want to hear every single thing that the tour guide was going to tell me, so I'd always start off at the top of the group. And those tour guides, they don't mess around. They're walking fast. they got to get a huge group of people from point A to point B, and they know if they go slow that the people at the end are going to really go slow. So they go fast. And all of a sudden, the tour guide would have, is gone. I'm not keeping up with him anymore. And all like the fit, you know, 5K marathon people, they're up with them and they've passed me. Now I'm back with the people with families and kids. And now they've passed me. And now I'm back with the grandmas and grandpas. And they've passed me. And all of a sudden, we're at the back of the tour group. And you come across some benches and we all sit down. And the people around me say, oh, time for a smoke break. 
And I look at my husband, I go, oh, it's time for a smoke break. And he's like, we don't smoke. I'm like, I have to sit, be quiet. We're having a smoke break. <laughs> and all of a sudden about, you know, I'm like, there is something wrong with me. I need to get up and move. I need to get my heart, my cardiovascular moving. I can't keep up with even the grandparents. I should just make a goal. If I can just keep up with the grandparents, then I'll be good. But instead, I'm back having a smoke break because my body's not in shape. What is my point in telling you this? That became a curse in my life. It became something in my life that I could not keep up with other people. I couldn't go and do the things that I wanted to do. And I have to do more exercising. It was interesting when we got this building, we didn't know we were getting the building. It's, it's a miracle story how God just kind of shook it, placed it in our lap. Yeah, that, that's, that's what happened with this building, which is wonderful. But because we didn't know it was coming, about six months before, when I would have my time of prayer with God, I, it would be like, God, you know, thank you so much. I love you. And I always write in my prayer journal, and then I write down anything I feel like he's putting on my heart to do. And, and, and for about six months, started six months before we got the building, God was like, you need to work out. You need to go get on the treadmill. And, of course, I did it maybe the first day for five minutes, and then I didn't do it again. But he didn't stop telling me, you need to work out. You need to work out. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will eventually. Let me just buy a different exercise machine. Oh, i got a birthday coming up. Okay, now that I've got a bike, I'll, I'll bike. Yeah, no, I didn't. For six months, every time I'd pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? Work out. You need to work out. You need to work out. No, no, no. And all of a sudden in August, it was like August 3rd, bloop, here's your blessing. Here's a building. And we became obsessed that first month. I was here every single day. I remember looking at a calendar. I'd been here every single day for like 21 days in a row, like hours on end. And we're cleaning and we're moving. And I'd be down in the children's basement and realize I need a hammer. And I had to go up the stairs, across the length of the building, down the stairs, across the length of that building to get the hammer out of the thing over there and go, do, go all the way back. And I physically hurt. I, I could not keep up. And almost every night when I would lay in bed, the Lord was like, you could have listened. You could have listened. For six months, he told me to get on the treadmill. And then all of a sudden, I get a blessing, and it became a curse to me physically because I could not keep up. I didn't have the stamina to do it. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't say, to say, oh, I got spiritual warfare. See, see, we get this building, and, and Satan is just fighting against me, and I just feel miserable. I don't know what's wrong. Satan is just attacking me. In the name of Jesus, spirit of infirmity, leave me. In the name of Jesus, spirit of sore muscles, leave me. No! I cursed myself! I did it! God told me what to do, and I disobeyed him, and I did not have a blessing with this building the first month or so. I was happy we had the building, but uh, it was a lot of work, and I couldn't keep up. Sometimes we don't take care of ourselves, and we become cursed. Now, salvation is not based on our actions. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that your quality of life here on earth is affected by the cursing and the blessings that you bring upon yourself, that others bring upon you, that you accept, 
that what your generations have taught you and the habits you have learned. And if you are really going to look at spiritual warfare, you don't just look at spiritual warfare from the spirit end and the authority and being able to say and bind the demons. That's a very important part, and that's where we start. But the next piece we got to look at is if that didn't work, what am I doing? And sometimes you're doing everything right. So the next week we'll look at then the third part you would look at. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and for showing us the realities of what is around us. We ask you to bless us and to help us with this understanding so that as we move forward and we do have spiritual warfare where there is battles going on in our mind and in our relationships and our situations, that we're able to use that name of Jesus, use that authority to cast off anything that is demonic that is attacking us. But may we also examine ourselves and say, am I bringing a curse upon my life? And if I am, what do I need to do, God, to change it? So, Father God, we ask you to open our eyes this week. Reveal to us. Maybe just give us one thing, because we don't want a big, long list. We're not going to be able to handle it. But show us one thing this week that we need to pray about, that we need to make a decision to change that the consequences of that action needs to be taken care of. Just like our car stops running when we don't put gas in it, our spiritual battle is not going to end until we cut something off, or we change something, we do something different. But we won't know if you don't show us, so show us. We thank you for this time. Bless these people as they leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So don't forget, next Sunday, 6 p.m., Put an alarm in your phone, and we will see you all then. God bless.